0: So many esteemed people who serve, who care, and I do mean each person gathered here. I am thankful for this day, been looking forward to it for a long time. Uh, And the reason I think it's important to do what we did today and what we are doing is a lot of times people go unrecognized for the work that they do on a daily basis. It isn't just that they gave, is they continue to give, even when nobody's looking. And what's sad in my heart this morning is that sometimes people get a bad reputation for doing good things. Certain segments of people will say, uh, the police are not good people. They'll attack them and uh, call out that they're not good for communities and society and make names for them and things like that and that just should not be because they work hard they try to do their best and uh, when they do that they find ridicule at times I don't know about you but I am thankful for each police officer each firefighter each EMT all on the job doing what they do because without them I would not like to see the chaos that our world would become So I'm thankful. And uh, our military, they say that freedom is bought with blood. It comes with a price, and it's true. It may not have been our blood, but it was someone who believed and cared and sought to sacrifice for a purpose greater than their own life that we might enjoy the freedoms we enjoy in, in this country. And the same truth goes for Jesus Christ. Our freedom was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He also made a supreme sacrifice. So when you think about the military, know that they are following in the footsteps of what Jesus did for you as well. And so that is so important to me this morning, and I just wanted to share that with you. I was alive in the early seventies when the Vietnam veterans came home, George, you were one of them. You may remember how it was not a hero's welcome. I don't want to Nobody thought that that era in our military and reception is a highlight. It is a dark spot. And uh, the reason was because it was an unpopular war. There was not anything out of that that people would say, this is what we should have done This thou should have gone. It was just, it was a mess, basically, and it never got better. But they were people who gave their lives, and they didn't have much of choice. They were sent. They did not ask to go. They did not sign up. They were signed up and sent. Young, young boys. Not full-grown men. Young boys sent. And they came home and were ostracized for a long time. But I'm so thankful our country has seen differently now. And we now recognize them as heroes too. George, you're a hero as well. I just wanted to put that right today. To make that wrong right here. For those of you who may have wondered, has that ever been done? I can't tell you if it's been put right, but it is here today. And so, thank you. You are heroes. No matter what people might have said back then, they were wrong. And I'm sorry on their behalf. What's interesting about Vietnam is, uh, I've seen movies about it. I was obviously too young to be over there by a few years. But the things that happened over there, in the different movies I saw, they had... A lot of foot soldiers. And whenever there was a mess, they would call in what they called air support. And that was the planes with the bombs or the uh, chemical warfare or fire or whatever they needed. And the airplanes would bring it from on high to help them out in bad situations. Sometimes when they called in for air support, they would lose their life. And they were aware of that. But it helped to save others. I have a couple of friends who were over there who no longer are alive because of that war, the chemical warfare, Agent Orange, just a mess. There's so many people who are still alive from that that still battle that on a regular basis. The trauma, we can't imagine. But I want to share with you this morning that I feel for each person who grieves over that, who hurt over that, and I believe that we all, as a nation, but definitely here as a church today, have a, a, a debt, a gratitude that we could never repay. And thank you is the most we can say because we can't pay it back. But we can say thank you and uh, your efforts do not go unrecognized. I believe that all acts of military, that the police, the EMTs, and firefighters are acts of love. I don't think there are acts of anything more than someone trying to help somebody and save a life. I don't think there's a motive to go, well, I'm going to go and fight that fire so people will think I'm a good guy. It's because there's a home that's on fire, a family with uh, memories, maybe children, uh, pets, all these things that they can lose if the firefighters don't get there and they hurry to do their job out of act of love. The same with the police on call or watching our roads or our neighborhoods. They act because they want people safe. And they realize they're the first line of defense. They're on the front lines for us. They don't do it so others will go, look, they're doing a good job. We thank them for doing that because they're keeping our city safe. What we see, though, is that they would do that if nobody said thank you. It takes a special person. To do that. To do the right thing, even when nobody recognizes it. Sometimes, it's a lonely life. I can't imagine what it's like to be in the trenches in each of those positions. To be alone or with just little support. But I promise you, Jesus Christ has air support for you. He sure does. And when I think about all the things that have been done and that are done on our behalf and we don't know about it, I think it would overwhelm us if we knew. I don't think we'd be able to walk a day on this earth without sincere gratitude if we just knew half of it. But we don't. A lot of it's behind top secret, closed doors, hidden away from the mainstream of society. And I'm thankful for that, because it means that they're doing it without regard to whether or not I know it. I'm thankful for people who do their job like that because people are working right now, we have electricity flowing and lights. Because people are doing their job right now, we have a home to go to and we know that when we get there that the water will still be running. (laughs) You know, we should honor our water department guys. Uh, Glenn does some awesome work in that area, but we don't often recognize those folks. How often do we recognize the folks when we go to the store on a Sunday who work through church and say, thank you for giving up your Sunday. Mm -hmm. Thank you for serving. They don't often get recognized because we don't think about it. We just take this stuff for granted. Because we're in a society now where people just do their thing whether they're recognized or not. But do you ever wonder how they feel when they're not noticed? How often is it person at the checkout counter or waiting your table or or um, taking your change at the store when you go to the convenience store and get something to drink or eat and you just see them as another face. But let me tell you something. At hudson and Bardwell that person's not another face. That's a that's a member of our church. That's Joanne, Dane's wife. He, that's not another face to him. That's a that's a woman who's got two grandkids washing them in the nursery right now. And I know she can hear me, so hi Joanne. <laughs> But we thank you for what you do. We notice that you're not just a person who's taking money and just being a robot. There are living, breathing souls doing what they do every day. Because of what each of us does, things get done. And it's not always a glorified thing. At times, we wonder, does anybody notice or care what I even do? Do I make a ripple? In this world, do I make a difference? And I have to share with you that what Jesus said in our call to worship is very powerful. Because He says, don't do what you do for other people to notice it. Do it because it's on your heart to do it. So He says, be careful that you don't do what you do charitably before men to be seen by them. And I would even place that even when you do your work excellently. That you're not going above and beyond so other people say you're so excellent you do much better, but rather you're doing it because you're serving God with what you do. Otherwise, if you do it before men to be seen by them, you've already got your reward. They've already said, good job, thank you, and you don't have that. But otherwise, if you do it for them, you don't have reward from God. So he says, don't sound a trumpet and blast it. Back in the day, the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees would all announce They're good works. And when they put money in the offering, they made sure that the bag of money hit the other coin so people could hear it. Oh, wow. Don't know how much they put in, but it sounds like a lot. And they'd be just going, look how good I am for God, people. Rather than going to God and saying, God, look God, how good I am for you, for people. I'm doing this for you. It's hypocritical if you ask Jesus to announce your good deed, but rather to do it quietly. Because otherwise our reward's already done. But if you do it in secret, and don't let one side of your life know from the other, just keep it in private, it will be done in secret, and your Heavenly Father will Himself reward you, and openly. If not in this life, the life to come, whether even as simple as a cup of water given to someone thirsty you will by no means lose that reward. How many different acts of kindness do you think go unnoticed by others, but yet the one who receives it knows? We have a story today in Luke about one person just like that. And I'll have to tell you, Jesus talks about this kind of love, what I call incognito love. It means you're not doing it for show, you're doing it because love is what you do. You're showing others, you're camouflaging your action by not telling the world about it. It's like snipe love, you know. A sniper looks in the dark and lurks and does something great and then disappears, and someone will look at it and go, Wonder who did that? Thank you, God. They thank God instead of you. That's sniper, that's incognito love. It's done in the in the discreetly, if you will. And a lot of times, people don't understand that. But it's the kind of love, if you want to define incognito love, a love that's not often detected by who did it, but rather that it was done. It occurs a lot more often than we know because no one's talking about it. They're not telling you that they're doing it. They're just doing it. All the acts of love and kindness that people have done, and yet, not everybody knows. There's a lot of people who get on the news because of their acts of kindness, but many of them never intended to be there. And those are the ones that move our hearts and inspire us. Not the ones that say, yeah, I'm giving this charity and this big check to show you how good a person I am. Rather, those things are done because they're done, not for show. That's incognito love. In military terms, you'd say, is it on open display, your love? Or is it not on active duty? Are you in active duty? If you were a military member of Christ's army, are you in active duty? Are you beginning to be a part of the kingdom of God? Are you a foot soldier? Are you out there doing the work of the kingdom without seeking self-reward? But let me tell you something, if you're doing it without seeking self-reward, you got all the air support you need. God's on your side. He's helping you. He's blessing you that way. And what's really sad is, without a uniform on, you can't really be sure who does what kind of job. But a Christian, if they do an act of God, and they don't tell anybody, God gets the glory. Not that person. But if you're not on active duty your whole life, you're inactive, AWOL, hopefully not. That means absent without permission for leave, because God never gave us permission to take a day off from loving. Well, I just wonder if you are incognito when you love, or do you do it for show? Make sure people know. Hey, I got you this Christmas present. You're going to like it. I'm going to watch you open. I'm going to watch your face so I can get my reward of you opening it. Or are you just going to say I've got the gift? And how do you do it? Is your love active, or is it because you want to see the response? I'm not saying how to do it. I'm asking you how that you do it is up to you and between you and God. But your love needs to be present. And that love comes from a love for God first. We We'd love because He first loved us. When a person wears a uniform, they get the title. If I had a white collar on and I've had them before, before my neck got too big, <laughs> and people would call me a, a priest or a rabbi, And I said, I'm not any of those. I'm not even a... Well, are you a father? Yes, I am. I have kids. (laughs) No, no, are you a Catholic father? No, no, no. I have kids. I am a dad, not a father. And um, the reason I mention that is because you wear that, you, you assume a lot of things about the person in that uniform. If it's a Marine or Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard... Army, any of those that they're wearing the uniform, you have a preconceived notion of what that means. Usually it's good. You see a firefighter, you usually know, hey, they put out fires, you know. EMT, you know, they probably spend a lot of time in ambulances, but you see a person walking in a police officer's uniform. All of a sudden, you get a bunch of different opinions, don't you? A whole bunch of different opinions. By the uniform! not the person in the uniform, by the uniform and title. That's how you know people's per- bias and perspective by how they respond to the uniform. I can't walk down the streets of St. Louis after a Cardinals game with my Cubs outfit on without thread. Because of the outfit I have on. Not because I'm a Christian. It's because it says, Cubs. Do you understand what I'm saying? People look at the exterior. They don't look at the heart. And if that was the case, David would never have been king. It's true. God is not looking at what you look like. He's looking at your heart. And it just so happens on the day that Jesus was going to Jericho and uh, on His way to be crucified, that He needed to go through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This was in the last few days of his life. And as he entered, there was a rich tax collector named Zacchaeus there. Maybe you've heard the song about Zacchaeus, or maybe you've heard his story. But I'm going to see if these biases about that story, because of the song and what people have said, relate with you. First of all, he's wealthy. He was a cheat. And he was short. And he knew how to climb trees. (laughs) Is this about the picture that you get from this guy? That he's a wee little man. A wee little man was he, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Yes, a lot of people see him that way. But when you read the text without bias, and let me tell you, the church has had a lot of bias against this man for a long time of who he was. Because of the word stature, it says in here that he could not see Jesus because he was of short stature. Now, you say, Wait a minute, I thought it was because you know he was a tax collector. Well, that's part of it, but the short stature do you not know that our society undervalues short people and they don't value giants either? You got to be a certain height when you fit in and then you don't get that judgment. But this man was considered by people's estimate to be short in height. But that's because those folks who said that didn't study the words that were said. And in the Greek, that word short also means little or low or not quite high enough. But the word stature refers to one of three things. It can mean height, age, or social standing. Let's assume Zacchaeus is a little boy, maybe 14 years old, and he's a chief tax collector. It's not going to work. Not going to work. The story doesn't work because you can't be a chief tax collector and pay off the Roman government to be that at age 14 at that time. You had to be a little older, so he was not young. So it has to be one of the other two, doesn't it? It's either socially or by height. And most people err toward the height. But if you look at the fact that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, he was on the outskirts of society as a reject. Mm -hmm. Seriously, a reject. Mm -hmm. Let, Let me put it to you this way. If someone's digging in your wallet and taking your money, or you don't get to do what you do every day, you're not going to be a fan. IRS. Makes you happy, right? <laughs> <clears throat> if you put the IRS, it spells theirs. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. That's right. It's true. Amen. It does. I once saw a simplified tax form It says, how much did you make last year? Put it in there. Next box, send it in. <laughs> But I'm saying, we don't like the IRS. The word audit scares the fire out of us and we're going, oh, I don't even want to think about that. Pray that I'm never audited. Glad to shut down. There's less people working. I should file soon, you know. Like on February 16th, if they shut it down again, that's what I'll do. We make plans to avoid the people that make us uncomfortable. We Attorneys. I don't know if there's any in here today, but if there's any attorney, I'm sorry, but a lot of people don't like it because they think your hands are in their pocket. Someone who messes with your money supply or takes your source of living away is not someone you like. And Zacchaeus was that man. Socially, he was not welcome in any circle because they considered him a sinner. Now, I know we're all sinners and fall short of the grace of God. That's not what I'm talking about. By Zacchaeus being... Considered a sinner, it meant he was ritually unclean for being deceitful. In that society, that means you cannot associate with that man. Now, Zacchaeus was a Jew. But according to the Jews, he was unclean, so he had to be treated like a leper. So do you think maybe, just maybe, he was low in status and stature socially. Wouldn't that make a lot more sense? It should, and it does when you begin to see the rest of the story. I've told this story and read this text a lot of times, but I never understood it the way I read it now. You see, the way it is, is Jesus had a large crowd with Him. This was the height of His popularity. He is traveling into Jericho. It's a major thoroughfare. There's people going with him. There's people in Jericho who want to get healed. They want to hear from him. All these things. You know, Bartimaeus was healed there. Blind Bartimaeus and some other blind fellows who were there. The lepers. some, Some lepers were cured there. All this fame about Jesus. A large crowd. And if you got Zacchaeus trying to see who Jesus is, just to find out what kind of man he is, and they don't like you. What are they going to do? They're going to keep sure that they're pressed in closer to Jesus and you're on the outskirts of the circle. You're not socially accepted so you can't touch Him, so you've got to step back and more people keep coming and further He had to get away from Jesus. All He wanted to do was see Him. Do you understand? All Zacchaeus wanted to do was lay eyes on Jesus who was, in His mind, the Messiah. The Promised One. As a faithful, loyal Jew, he was looking for the Messiah and believed Jesus is it, all he wanted to say was, I saw the Messiah with my own eyes, and I couldn't because the crowd was pressing. Now you say, maybe maybe a pastor he really didn't care about that Messiah because he was a horrible sinner and tax collector, and after all, he gave half his goods to the poor and you know and he promised to get restore fourfold and I said, you're, 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 you're letting your biases tell the story again. Let us take it a little closer to home. Zacchaeus was misunderstood. Have you ever been the last picked for a sports team? Or the last one your friends would call to tell the news? Or the one that remained. oh, I forgot to invite so-and-so, and that so-and-so was you. That you're always feeling like the one on the outside looking in, even in your circles of supposed friends. And, and, and it's not through any fault of your own, because you're trying to be a part, you just don't know what you're doing that doesn't work. Zacchaeus is trying to fit in. But he's a tax collector. And all tax collectors are bad. All of them, they're all lumped together. You put him in there with the terrorist bunch, like we have, and we said they're all bad. Zacchaeus was in there because he was uh, wore the uniform. He got the bad rep because of public opinion of tax collectors. It mattered not that he was Jewish to them. Tax collecting made you bad. After all, he was wealthy. And the only way he could make money was if he overcharged more than he was supposed to for the tax which he was allowed to do with Roman authority. The dreaded Roman authority. Saying that he could. But it says here, he's the chief tax collector. The chief tax collector means he did not collect the taxes himself. He had other people who worked for him, who brought him the tax money. So if anybody was being defrauded by anybody, it was the people who worked for Zacchaeus in the different areas of his region. Not Zacchaeus. He asked for a certain amount from those men, and they provided it. The reason he was wealthy was his top of the food chain wasn't because he was stealing. It's because the other guys were just a few guys under him giving him enough money where he had enough to live on and more because he had a lot of people below him passing the money up. And those guys got it from the people who hated tax collectors. So who do you think was defrauding and being unkind to the tax code to the people who had to pay taxes? Your taxes were exorbitant, 50% or more. Or more. Some said it was up to as much as 70 to 80% of income went to Rome. Well, in that tax line, you're working 10 hours for two hours of pay, you're not too happy, are you? And it's the tax collector's fault? We don't like Zacchaeus. (laughs) And Zacchaeus isn't the one collecting. He's just overseeing. And Jesus sees as Zacchaeus has run ahead. He runs ahead. Understand. He has to go around the crowd, run ahead, and he climbs up into a tree to see Jesus because he's going to pass that way on that road. It's the road through Jericho. And Jesus comes and stops and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay in your house, so come down. And Zacchaeus came down and received him joyfully. If you're a sinner... And ungodly man isn't going to go, come on in! You're righteous! I'm not... uh, Let's go ahead and make you unclean too. (laughs) He wasn't like that. Why did he receive Him joyfully? Because of what happened next. All the people around, in verse 7, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. How do they know? Because he's a tax collector. They don't see him sinning. They see his title as a bunch of sinners. And they've ostracized and left this man on the fringes of society, misunderstood, unwanted, unwelcome, through no fault of his own. Have you been there? Have you ever been misunderstood or cast out or felt unwanted and you did nothing to earn or deserve that. This is Zacchaeus, and it sounds like Jesus is going to stand up and defend him and say, "I'm the Messiah. He's coming to eat with me, and I'm going to make him clean." But the crowd has said he's going to eat at a guest with a sinner. Zacchaeus speaks, not Jesus. Jesus does not defend Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stands up and says, Rabbi, or Lord, or Teacher, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Now the requirement was 20% of your goods to the poor, by Jewish custom. And 120% of what was taken... By false accusations. So, if you stole one hundred dollars, you had to restitute one hundred and twenty. But if he did it, he gave back one hundred and eighty. He restored fourfold what was required. And a lot of people say that because he said that, that that was future looking from that day forward. It's not what Zacchaeus said. He said, "Lord, he's got an audience. He's got the whole world watching him in that Jericho region." He said, "Lord." I give. I do this. And they still don't believe in me. I give half my goods to the poor. The only people who know it are the poor. I do it in secret. Because these people don't even see it. And they ostracize me. And I'm trying to love God the best I can. And they keep me away from the temple. They keep me away from you. I just wanted to see the Messiah before I died. That's all I wanted. I give a... Four times as much as what I'm supposed to if I ever defraud someone. I do that. And Jesus looks at him and says, This is a child of Abraham, people. And you missed out. You forgot who he was. You saw what he did as who he was. Rather than him as a person first. And Don't we become victims or cause others to same?" Zacchaeus was all about the quiet love because no one would believe he was doing it anyway. But he still did it. Do you understand? He still did it. When people said he was ungodly and unrighteous and unworthy, he was still giving to the poor and taking care if he heard of any of his tax collectors that defrauded anybody. He did it out of his own pocket. Not out of theirs. And he ran a tight ship apparently because he did all that, but he was still wealthy, which means he kept those other taxpayer guys in line. That means he was righteous and holy in doing what he did. And he wasn't going to the house of a sinner with Jesus. Zacchaeus was a righteous man that nobody thought was righteous. False accusation hurts. Especially when it becomes public opinion. It's interesting because for years I've told a story that changed yesterday. I am not the firstborn son of my father. Yesterday, my sisters got a result of a test called DNA23 and me. Turns out there was another man who had done so in Arizona. It also turns out, back before my father met my mother, that he had a one-night stand in high school. And she was gone. A child came from it, put up for adoption, and nobody in my family knew about it until yesterday. I have a brother. His name's Frank. Frank. I talked to him yesterday, and he's just overjoyed and weeping and crying because he thought for years he would never know his father's side of the family because he was adopted, and he thought his father was killed in the war. My father was in the military, a Marine, but he was out. He never got killed in the war, obviously. But I share this with you because all these years, Frank has been looking for his family hoping he could find some trace of cousins or whatever and now he has six younger sisters and a younger brother and he never had a brother before he had all sisters in his family that he grew up and they adopted into he was the oldest brother of all the rest girls and now he finds out i'm the youngest brother of all sisters all this time, Frank is always saying, is, God, just show me my family. I just want to know who they are. But God said, I'm to Do something more. I'm going to love you in a way that you don't expect. I'm going to show you your family, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to love them and be a part of them. And here's what happened He got the news, and my sisters reached out to him, and he started crying on the phone. Weeping, saying, I have family. You mean my dad didn't die? I got cousins and nieces and nephews, and, and you got more nieces and nephews, and yeah. All this story beginning to unfold. And the love that God was shedding abroad on Frank through this family now is beginning to roar out through this text chain, and emails and phone calls. And my sisters are all just reaching out to him, and he's overwhelmed and overjoyed. And his daughter, uh, who's about my age, Is celebrating because her dad has found the love that's been missing. Nobody knew that it could be shared. Love like that is love you don't know exists. But folks, if you can love secretly and others, at least one have experienced it, that's a good thing, isn't it? So I'm 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 still like in shock. Obviously, my story no longer is the same. I'm no longer the firstborn son. I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. What it, what it does is say, i got more family. There's more to love. And there's always been a part of me that said, is there more to this story? Because God kept saying, there's more, just wait. And there's always more to the story when God's in there providing air support. Don't give up. So Zacchaeus misunderstood, pushed out from the fringes of society, and Jesus says to this, today salvation came to this house. And you don't understand what that means unless if you, if you grow up in our society and their society is different. Today salvation has come to this house and says, well, he got born again. No, it's not what it means. It means today he's allowed to go back to church. He's allowed to be part of the Jewish community now. That He already was a part of. He says, today's salvation has come to this house. He's also a son of Abraham. You all forgot He was one of you. You push Him to the sides, and He's one of you. I've been there. You've been there in some circumstances in your life. Pushed to the sides. You're one of us. That's why this church is so wonderful, because we're a bunch of used-to-be's finding out that we're loved like we are, not like we ought to be. And that's why we can turn 180 degrees toward God because we have the freedom to stay as we are and be who we are without apology and love God as we are. Not to be something to love God, but to be someone loved. And this is what he says. And this is how I know the commentators got it wrong. Verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was not lost in sin, he was lost in faith because he began to believe that everybody else was right. And he was lost to society. And today, we as foot soldiers hitting the pavement with Jesus providing air support can't be lost. Don't let 72 years go by in your life till you like my brother, to find out he has family. And that you are family. You are family here. You're family in the kingdom of God. You belong. You're not on the fringes. You are integral and you're part of the inner circle of believers and those who love Jesus Christ and say, I belong. Lord, what can I do to bless you and I love you? The same way that you love me, whether anybody knows it or not. Hmm. You know, Jesus started small, twelve disciples. Look at it now. A billion or two people claiming to be Christian. I have to say, if there's a billion or two Christians in this world following the Word of God by the letter and serving God from all their heart, there will be no more famine in this world. So I'm thinking there's a lot of people who are not Christian, but in name. And there's some who are incognito loving. And there's some who say they are, but they're not loving. All I'm asking this morning is to be honest with God and yourself and say, this is the kind of person I am. I'm acting it, I'm doing it in secret, or I'm not in active duty, I'm missing with, without permission. AWOL. The reason I say all that is because Jesus instituted a relationship with you based on Himself, not you. I'll say that again. It's not what you've done or not done, whether you're worthy or not, whether you included or not included, Jesus student didn't do it because of that. He did it because of Himself loving you as you are, where you are, without any expectation that you would do anything about it, but maybe one day recognize what He did. When His love and His act of sacrifice becomes real in your life, His love... Is no longer incognito to you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are so so wonderful as a God, you you don't demand or lay expectations on us we can't fill. All you say to us is, I'm here, I am with you. And God, we keep thinking, but no, you're not, because you know people don't care, people don't understand me, they don't know me, they, they reject me. And you keep whispering through all those other voices, I'm with you. I am with you. And when you realize, Heavenly Father, that there's some of us that don't understand or quite connect with that, maybe we understand where Zacchaeus was. He said, all I just want to know is that you're real. I just want to see you. I've been serving you. I just want to see you, your Messiah. I don't ask for much. Heavenly Father, this day, may that same Messiah, Jesus Christ, come visit each one of us and say, I'm having a meal with you. I'm staying with you. And you are a part of my family. Heavenly Father, this is my prayer today that anyone who doesn't understand that might find out now. Amen.